This is An American Workplace, a podcast dedicated to rewatching and discussing NBC's beloved mockumentary series, The Office. My name is Chad Hopkins, and joining me, as always, is my good friend and co-host, Katie White. Katie, it's a special episode. <laughs> <laughs> it's an American Workplace holiday today, yeah. uh, <laughs> an anniversary. It's actually our 365th day since we released our first episodes. Um, we released, what was it? The first three mm-hmm. All of season episodes. one. Um, yeah, that's right. Oh, that's mm-hmm. weird. It seems so long ago, but it really wasn't. Yeah, especially when you consider season one was six episodes, and now we're wrapping up with next week and 28 episode season with season five. Right. Yeah. Uh, the seasons got progressively longer, um, but very, very close to being a really nice even number wrapping up season five and it being one year. So uh, always a good time to say thank you all so much for your support and for your uh, viewership, listenership, if it were. Uh, we appreciate all the love and all the reaching out. Um, met some cool people along the way so thanks uh thanks for being here and speaking of thanks we do have some people to thank for apple podcast reviews over the last week we have avalon peverell or peverell uh, fton baby love and spence 881 or 881 and uh because it is our one year anniversary episode reminder that we do have a patreon page we're not asking for a whole lot of your money but i just want to say i will be sending out 100 percent guaranteed the logo stickers that we've been teasing by the end of next week so if by the end of next week you're signed up at at least the one dollar level on our patreon page you will be getting an american workplace logo sticker and they're a nice high quality i've got one on my macbook katie's got a small stack as well mm-hmm. so they're they're really great stickers and we'd love to give you one so Patreon is the way to get one of those. I guess that wraps up some housekeeping. Let's dive into our third to last episode of season five here, Casual Friday. It aired on April 30th of 2009, was directed by Brent Forrester. I think he said this was his first episode to direct. At least that's what it sounded like he said in the the commentary. Is that right? I think you you may be right there. Yeah, I think so. Um, I think he might have written a couple of episodes. But Mm -hmm. anyways, We've, uh, we've definitely seen his name. Yeah, and this episode was written by Anthony Farrell. The Michael Scott Paper Company has been absorbed by Dunder Mifflin and the merge isn't going as well as hoped. Since the Michael Scott Paper Company stole a lot of Dunder Mifflin clients and Dunder Mifflin now has two extra salespeople, there's animosity over who will get those clients. Michael finally realizes that he was in the wrong with this merge and decides to demote Ryan back to temp and keep Pam as the new salesperson. So Michael has reinstituted Casual Friday, uh, that's the name of the episode, which is sort of a welcome reprieve from Charles' stricter dress code that even even Dwight fell victim to. And so uh, as sort of a comfort clothing, Dwight has returned to his mustard shirt with a blazer, yeah. <laughs> sans tie. So that's how you know it's casual, is he Gosh. went without the tie this time. And Michael is really just, you know, he's hamming it up now that he's, quote, returning, you know, as if he wasn't there in front of all of them just the day before. As if the deal reinstating him as their boss hadn't taken place in that very office. But, you know, they humor him. They clap in the right places, tepidly maybe, but they clap. And that's that's the start of the episode is Michael just sort of welcoming himself back. <laughs> it's a lot of, okay, applause for me. We're back. And they start off, you know, fairly all right with it. And of course, Michael makes the most dramatic entrance possible. It looks like a hula hoop or something that he wraps in heavy paper. And draws a big, huge question mark on, and he makes Ryan and Pam hold this sign, this banner that Michael will then break through. 
of course, just as dramatic as possible, but everyone kind of humors him. But that, that humor quickly wears off uh, when he's just applauding himself for coming back to the place where he was the day before. <laughs> he reveals to us, or to the documentary crew, what he expects from everyone. He takes everybody into the conference room at the very start of the day, as you would expect. He's back after all. So the useless conference room meetings are back. But he calls everybody in there, and he's... He seems to be expecting something of everyone. He says, you are going to take control. This is going to be your meeting now. So if you are thinking anything, if you have anything you want to say to me, maybe, now is your time to say it. And so he says in the talking head, I want an apology. I want everyone to apologize for, quote, turning their backs on me when I asked for them to join me for the Michael Scott Paper Company. His talking head says, am I going to ask them to beg for forgiveness? No. Am I going to ask for a big crying apology? No. Am I going to ask them to slit their wrists for me? No. I just want a tiny microscopic version of that. <laughs> that which what's is ridiculous. What's the microscopic version of slitting your wrists? Like, uh, I have no idea. <laughs> He's just, he wants just a little bit of pain from them, a little bit of, of just suffering, mm-hmm. and they feel so bad. And like, he, he just wants some Michael Scott drama. So... He introduces us with that. He doesn't say anything about asking for an apology to everybody else, but uh, Pam and Ryan are back, as promised, at Dunder Mifflin as salesmen this time, which this was news to everybody, and everyone isn't happy about it, especially when they announce that Pam and Ryan are going to be keeping the clients that they stole from Dunder Mifflin while at the Michael Scott Paver Company. And then now that they're back, they're going to continue having those same clients. And all the salesmen are, they're pretty angry about it. They're very strongly against it. Dwight says, you know, Dunder Mifflin bought out the Michael Scott Paper Company, so they bought out the stolen clients. But to sort of argue against that logic, yeah, they did. But now Pam and Ryan work for Dunder Mifflin, so who is saying that the clients that they earned, uh, I'm just using the word earned for now, we'll talk about this more in a minute, what what's saying that the clients that they earned have to revert back to their former former salesmen? They're all at the same company now, you know. Yeah. And this is sort of going to bleed into a, our discussion topic for this episode, which is going to just be a large ball of morality discussion <laughs> that encompasses this entire situation because there are a lot of things that are weighing one way or the other, and there's not really a clear answer as to what is right or wrong. I think if this was a company that was not so closely associated with Dunder Mifflin, it would be an easier transition. But everyone used to be an employee of Dunder Mifflin, and they stole Dunder Mifflin clients. If it was an unassociated company, I think maybe, you know, Pam and Ryan would keep their clients that they brought in um, because they presumably have like some kind of a relationship with their clients. But they have—they were not a company for very long, the Michael Scott Paper Company. So I don't know. Dwight, uh, for instance, we see a situation in this episode where he sees Ryan struggling with one of his longtime clients. Ryan stole this client from Dwight and Ryan is losing the account. And so Dwight seems to know the answer to this. He seems to know like how to fix this. He knows his client. They have a good relationship. But because... Ryan doesn't know him, they lose the account. And I really don't know the answer here. I mean, I feel like I feel like they probably should go back to their original salesman because Ryan's never made a sale and Pam 
has made very few sales comparatively uh, to the rest of the Dunder Mifflin crew. So that's my instinct. I don't really know what the right answer is, but no one does either at Dunder Mifflin. I think from a morality issue, a right or wrong, or at least human decency issue, the right thing is to give the clients back to the former salesman. Especially considering when you're in the Michael Scott realm of business, business is the most personal thing in the world. And that's his own fault for making it that way. But when you make your entire work relationship personal the way Michael does, it does hurt when you go after people the way Phyllis puts it, or you attack people and steal from them. And I think the real issue, at least regarding that scenario, is that Michael is really rude for the first part of this episode about everything. He says, you know, I'm the boss. I make the rules. And if you don't like it, you can take it up with the complaint department. And he holds up a trash can. This is our complaint department, uh, which is sort of a callback to, is it the pilot when he says uh, the the trash can is the special filing cabinet? Yeah, for, for corporate. Yeah, for corporate memos. You know, why would these people share his excitement and him being back if he's going to treat them, people he has called his family, the reason he's in the business, the way he does in this episode. So yeah, he's trying to make a fan for, for fanfare for himself. That's not going over well because he's treating them terribly. The right thing to do as far as friend to friend, whatever relationship you want to define these people having is to give them their clients back. And he's not doing that. So, I mean, it is tough. And then going beyond that, he's treating Pam and Ryan with uh, higher preference. Um, he stops by their desk with drinks. He creates a photo collage of memories from their time together with the Michael Scott Payer Company. And they're buddy-buddying it up in his office. And, I mean, they're close, which is nice that they, they enjoy their time together with the Michael Scott Payer Company. And now they're back and they're still enjoying that relationship. But it really does favor those two people specifically. And it leaves everybody else by the wayside. Yep. We see Michael bringing... Pam and Ryan drinks from the break room um, while the other salesmen watch with, with shock. Like, it's funny that, you know, two weeks prior, they hated each other, all three of them, because they were working in a closet. And now they're all best friends reminiscing on, on their time together. But it's definitely causing some animosity, as I said, with the other salesmen. So they are back under one roof. They are one company. Again, he needs to cut that out for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, Yeah, good memories aside, leave that outside of the workplace. Uh, Right. Now, nobody, except for maybe Jim in this episode, and I guess Creed, uh, is innocent of being sort of a nasty person at some point or other over the course of the episode, uh, at least as far as salesmen go. Uh, Ryan really leads into it. He's excited when everyone is turning against them. Like, it gives him a thrill. And even Pam falls sort of victim to the adventure or the risk of it. You know, she joins Ryan and Michael in eating everyone else's food when they claim to have gone to eat lunch elsewhere rather than actually meeting for a sort of a mutiny in the warehouse. And so this all sort of culminates in everyone, all the former salesmen minus Jim, threatening to quit their jobs if they don't get their clients back. And Michael pushes it even farther. He says, fine, I fully support you. Here's some seed money. And he takes out his wallet, crumples up dollar bills and tosses them at their face. He says, 
here's your seed money. I fully support you. Quit your jobs. I don't care. But if you stay, I want an apology and I want a big one. And then Phyllis steps up and speaks out and says, you know, we were the ones hurt by the Michael Scott paper company, Michael. Even, even if Michael was intentionally, only intentionally going after corporate, these people that he calls his friends were victims. Now, I don't think personally this makes him, quote, in the wrong, but it was a repercussion that he didn't consider. And I don't think it's wrong for him to apologize either. We, speaking generally, everybody hurt people all the time. And the right thing to do when that happens, intentional or not, is to own up to our shortcomings and to apologize. And kudos to Michael. He does immediately realize that he hurt people that he thought he was close to, that he was friends with, that he was family with. And he apologizes from from the bottom of my heart to the top of my heart. (laughs) (laughs) So good for him for doing that much. Yeah, it's funny that you say everyone, especially salespeople in this episode, were nasty. there was one moment in particular with Phyllis that mm. just, I don't know. So think about seeing Phyllis get all rude. It's just, it makes me sad because she's such a warm, I don't know, motherly character. Mm-hmm. Um, she and Pam happen to be wearing the same outfit for uh, Casual Friday. And they kind of laugh about it in the break room. And Phyllis just flips the switch on her and says, totally unrelated. Yeah, but I wish I had more time to talk to my clients. Pam says, what? And Phyllis um, goes on to say, like, well, that's what you told them when you were stealing them from me, uh, that I didn't have enough time. And Pam kind of uh, uh, looking for words. Phyllis says, close your mouth, sweetie. You look like a trout. Like, that's just so. I get that she's hurt. I get that. I mean. But then I keep having to ask myself if the Michael Scott paper company did not know Dunder Mifflin, if they were just another competing paper company. Having lower prices, does that mean you stole clients? I think it just means that you won them, you know, but but they knew they were a sub party, basically, of Dunder Mifflin, mm-hmm. and they were all friends and, as Michael put it, family. So in that case, yeah, I do think it's a steal rather than a win. But everyone's feeling particularly nasty this episode. Yeah. There's another instance when Phyllis, during the the mutiny in the warehouse... She says, you don't take my clients away and give them to a secretary. Right. Man, I, I think that's worse than the trout thing, to be honest. It's it's yeah. as if she's insinuating that Pam is lesser or at least less capable because of her previous job title. It it's <laughs> it's terrible. Um but that being said, the, as much as those statements from Philip Phyllis uh upset me, the time when she says, you know, Michael, you always said we were a family, then you went after us. That moment upsets me in the complete opposite side of the spectrum because you realize, I mean, these people, even though they react to Michael in certain ways because of his behavior sometimes, they still care for him in some regard and they care for how he treats them. And so for him to turn on them while leading the Michael Scott paper company yeah, maybe it did really hurt them. It's like they count on him caring for them. Mm-hmm. And it's something that, that they've always known is that Michael values us over the company, um, over the business of it. But this was not that case. This was something mm-hmm. different. And he, he valued his company over his friends. Right. 
And so for my discussion topic, which we've been going over this whole time, I, I had sort of like three base questions. The first one was Michael's desire for an apology from the other Dunder Mifflin people, whether he's right or wrong for that. I think for that, he's probably wrong. Like there was yeah. nothing they did that warrants an, ap- an apology for him whether it was right or wrong for him to steal customers from his former employees. Yeah, they think of themselves as a family in some regards. Yes, he thinks of them as friends, but at that moment, they were separate businesses. I think that's more of a gray area, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, especially when Dwight started to sort of go specifically after Michael. A lot of what he was doing kind of was retaliatory. So more of a gray area there, but I would lean more towards it's not wrong that M- michael did what he did with the michael scott paper company it's dirty but it's not wrong right you know, it's like right. it's it's playing nasty it's it's playing hardball but mm-hmm. that's business you know right and then the the last one would be whether it was right or wrong for michael to give the stolen clients to pam and ryan which again maybe yeah. the 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 nice thing to do is to give the clients back to the former salesman but then it leaves a debate between Pam and Ryan and I guess we can go ahead and talk about that now uh because Michael does apologize and he initially only apologizes he has no further plans than to just say he's sorry uh but they didn't really care about the apology, it turns out. They just wanted their customers back. And he tries to guilt trip him at first. He says, you know, if I give you back your clients, I'm not going to be able to keep both Pam and Ryan. They're like, so what? I don't care. We want our clients back. And he, he says, okay, you can have your clients back. But I rescind my apology. And they're like, okay, we're fine with that. <laughs> Great, that's fine. <laughs> uh, but he does have to cut one of them. And as you already mentioned, Ryan ends up getting the shaft sort of i mean he does get his temp job back but pam gets the job which is great uh especially considering a small scene between him and jim where michael's asking for advice on who to hire and michael is listing his own pros and cons on jim's suggestion you know ryan he went to business school he's got an mba Uh, theoretically he should be good at this job because he has that educational background and Jim says, yeah, but he he defrauded the company <laughs> and he uh, has never made a sale. And also, I'm pretty sure he stole my iPod. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, and then Michael says, you know, as far as Pam goes, I like her. I think she's a fast learner, but she doesn't follow through with things. And that is true of Pam. She has struggled in the past uh, with, with New York, with art school, with Roy, although I wouldn't list that as a character flaw for not following through with Roy. Right. Michael is initially leaning towards Ryan, but it, it just makes all that uh, it all the sweeter when he says to Pam that she gets the job. And it, it reminds me of business school. Uh, there's a lot of things that remind me of business school as far as <laughs> Pam and uh, uh, Pam and Michael go. But when he shows up to her art show and says, wow, you drew our building. I'm so impressed with you. These could be tracings. He says, I'm proud of you. And now this is him just sort of doing that again. I believe in you. I'm going to give you the chance. And here you go. Here's a job. And that's such a moment of either clarity and or appreciation for Pam that he did not choose Ryan for the position because a lot of times I feel like Michael would have chosen Ryan Mm -hmm. because he loves Ryan. I mean, Ryan's great. (laughs) Ryan's cute. But 
he defrauded the company. <laughs> I mean, he right. went to jail for what he did to Dunder Mifflin. So Wallace is even mad that Ryan's there at all. Let's not promote him. I think it's a huge testament to Michael and, and a moment of clarity, I hope, that he uh, chose Pam for this, this job. As far as any other character moments go, the only really one I had was Toby. Um, mm, and mm. this could sort of lean under funny stuff too, I guess, depending on how funny you find Toby's misery. <laughs> uh, he's, we find out how he got into HR in the first place. He said, I was in seminary, but I dropped out because I wanted to have sex with a girl named Kathy. And he followed her to Scranton. He took up the first job he saw in HR and then she divorced him. And he finishes the talking head with, so... No, I wouldn't say I have a passion for HR. <laughs> <laughs> it just sort of happened. I just have one last um, character moment. I, I, another little one with Aaron, who uh, is the new receptionist. We mm-hmm. haven't gotten a whole lot of screen time with Aaron yet. But she says, uh, she asks if she still has a job because Pam is now back. Is she going to reception? Is she going to be a salesperson? TBD. and. Uh, Michael says, that's not important. They're in the conference room. But everyone kind of rallies and comes to Aaron's side and, and like fights for her, which I really like because we haven't gotten a lot of Aaron's screen time. Yet we still see that there's a relationship there. The people of the office kind of value her as a, as a person um, that at the very least, it is important if she has a job or not. She needs to know this. So mm-hmm. um, they kind of correct Michael there on that. And I like that. Right. And it's almost slightly antagonistic because you could almost view it as this is the non-Michael Scott paper company family and then the Mm -hmm. Michael Scott paper company family. So I, I, it is a sweet moment. I I definitely like that they stand up for Aaron, but uh, there is that sort of twinge of, Hey, just because you're back doesn't mean you're going to change everything again. Right. But it kind of answers the question at the end of the episode when he fake fires, he goes to that whole thing of fake firing. And uh, he fake fires Aaron because no one likes her. And then he admits that it was a joke. And then she says, well, no, do, do people not like me? <laughs> he says, I don't know. <laughs> I, well, I don't know. But I think it proves that so far they, they do. She's, uh, she's fitting in. Yeah. Uh, one last Toby thing. He does cancel Casual Friday after there's, <laughs> there's a few too many complaints that I'm sure we'll address in our funny moments in some unprofessional, as in, like, inappropriate for public at all dress. (laughs) Uh, And during that meeting when he is canceling Casual Friday, uh, it's sort of the first time we've really seen him take control of a situation. He tells Dwight to sit down or I'm going to write you up. And I don't remember, I think it might be Meredith who says, oh, where has he been? (laughs) Or something Mm -hmm. something to that effect. So, serious stuff aside, there was some weighty stuff in this episode, believe it or not. Uh, uh, let's yeah. talk about the funny stuff. And I, I hesitate to call the cold open funny uh, because poor Kevin, but uh, Kevin has brought in his famous chili and he's carrying the giant pot as he's voicing over. And he says, you know, once a year I bring in my Kevin's famous chili. The trick is to undercook the onions. Ew, but maybe it works. I don't know. and he spills it everywhere and i feel so awful for him because towards the end of his little speech he says it's probably the thing i do best he says as he slips (laughs) he's slipping around and he like is panic scrambling to scoop the spilled chili back into the pot it's such a mix of funny sad this is like his highlight 
for the year. He does this once a year, <laughs> and it's the thing he does best. Yeah, that's pretty traumatic. <laughs> yeah. As you mentioned Casual Friday, I thought I should mention some of the outfits. Uh, most notably, probably, is Meredith's, which it's basically a shirt. <laughs> yeah. It's like a strapless, very, very, very short dress um, and nothing else. I mean, there's not anything underneath that dress. Um, and so Toby kind of pulls her aside, but not really. She's still in the middle of the office. And he says, hey, maybe you want to maybe you want to pull that down a little bit. It's riding a little high. And so she does. And her boob pops out <laughs> and Oscar tells her so. And so she hikes it back up a little too high and other things are now out. And it's just like, fine, fine. And so she um, kind of covers the necessities and goes over to a filing cabinet or something. And she turns around and you just get like all angles of Meredith. Um. (laughs) My favorite part is when Kelly says, Meredith, where are your panties? And she says, it's casual Friday. (laughs) Not what that means. (laughs) No. No. Not a nudist's office. (laughs) Uh, When... Michael first learns about the mutiny downstairs. He says, you know, the old Michael Scott might have taken this, but not the new Michael Scott. They are in for a bitter surprise. I am not to be truffled with. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Another Michaelism. Dwight, when the salesmen are are threatening to leave, he he says, we'll we'll quit. We'll start our own paper company. The Schrute, Bernard, Lappin Vance, Stanley paper company because <laughs> he does not know Stanley's last name. I've got to confess, I couldn't remember Stanley's last name either. I was like, Hudson. surely. <laughs> and I actually had to look it up because I, I just blanked. I, I pulled a Dwight, I guess. But um, that's, why that's why he didn't win trivia last time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, playing dirty. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, there's a small moment between, or it's in that same scene as the truffled with sign, uh, I think. Uh, Ryan says, you got to go down there and crack some skulls, Chiklis style, referring to Michael Chiklis, the actor. Michael says, ah, yes, the commish. And Ryan says, yes, but Chiklis, the shield style, not commish style. And so I had to look this up, but it shows the difference between Ryan and Michael because Ryan was referring to the intense police drama, The Shield, which I was familiar with. But Michael was actually referring to like a comedy drama series that also stars Michael Chiklis as a cop, but it's called The Commish. And so that's the reference there. Uh, they're, they're referencing the same actor in two different roles, both as cops, but one is decidedly more comedic. And that's the one Michael knows. See, that's funny because I had never actually looked that up. Mm-hmm. And that, that reveals a lot. Yeah. Dwight has, in the episode, asked for the salesman to meet in the warehouse for the mutiny. He um, gives them a memo, which he, in some... Dwight Way thinks he has communicated what needs to be done to this memo to reveal a secret message. No one gets it because he doesn't really give them any hints, except you need to heat my message. Uh, And of course, he's saying this is Stanley, who thinks nothing of it. He has put invisible ink on the memo, which is urine. He has put urine on the memos. And so Michael asks Dwight to hold a secret meeting for the sales staff without Pam and Ryan knowing. So he has to do this a second time. And we see Dwight using Ryan's mug to make the invisible ink. <laughs> so he has filled Ryan's mug with, with urine. Urine. It was urine. <laughs> it was urine. And he gets all giggly. Uh, during the scene when Michael and Jim are meeting to discuss whether to hire 
Ryan or Pam, Michael accuses Jim of being biased against Ryan. <laughs> he says, but you haven't heard my pros list. And he says he's environmentally cautious because his mom drives him to work every day. And then he just sort of turns to the camera and grins like, I'm real proud of knowing that. (laughs) And also with Ryan, um, after Michael has fake fired Pam and then just kidding, you got the job. Pam then asks, well, what about Ryan? Michael says, well, Ryan was not at all happy when I told him he got the job and then told him that he didn't. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, if you're going to fake fire someone, which you shouldn't. Definitely don't do the reverse. A couple of things that happened between Andy and Dwight on the phone, you know, Dwight didn't communicate the secret message very well. And so he shows up to the warehouse alone and Dwight calls Andy's desk and says, what are you still doing at your desk? And he says, what are you still doing? Not at your desk. (laughs) (laughs) And then they go through it all. Dwight says, get everybody together, come down to the warehouse. And Andy says, it is on like a prawn who yawns at dawn. And Dwight just says, stop doing rhyming poetry. Just tell them, please. God, the simplest thing. <laughs> that makes <laughs> like, me laugh every time. And he like puts the phone down. Like he's just so. I used done with Andy. Oh, God, the simplest thing. <laughs> Ryan now um, sits next to Meredith. And it's just this little itty bitty scene where she just looks up and says, don't fall in love with me, kid. And he looks at the camera like, yeah, that's not going to be a problem. That's right. not. <laughs> Especially given her outfit today. Andy suggests during the mutiny that we could write a strongly worded letter. And Dwight says, words are not enough. Jim says, a strongly painted picture. <laughs> After all, a picture's worth a thousand words, you know? And Dwight says, no, pictures are too in- interpretive. <laughs> <laughs> Last one for me, I think, but I like this one. Michael is deciding who to fire, Ryan or Pam. And he says, I have a very difficult decision to make. It's like, Last week, I was at the video store. Do I rent Devil Wears Prada again, or do I finally get around to seeing Sophie's Choice? It's what you would call a classic difficult situation. Yeah. Which everyone calls Sophie's Choice a classic difficult decision. <laughs> Sophie's uh-huh. Choice, from my understanding, is she has to like kill one of her daughters or something, and she has to pick which one. Mm-hmm. Like That would be a difficult decision. Right. <laughs> <laughs> not, not choosing the movie to watch, and it's just the irony is funny. We have a surprise appearance from Daryl. It's the first time in a long time. It's actually, I think, since Golden Ticket, I checked, where Michael is apologizing to everybody in the warehouse. And then all of a sudden, the wall behind him that's made up of paper boxes pulls away with a forklift. And it just slowly reveals Daryl standing there. He says, what I tell you about building forts in my warehouse. <laughs> it's so great. And last one, Creed. Uh, almost appears completely normal for an entire scene in this episode. Yeah. Uh, he's talking with Jim, you know, he says everything out there is crazy, you know, sometimes it's just, uh, it's best to stay out of it. And then want to play a game? Jim hesitates, but later he's playing chess with him. And so Creed appears to be either really good at chess or Jim is just exceptionally bad. I'd like to think it's the former. And we do find out in the commentary that Creed Bratton, the person, not the character, is pretty good at chess. So that works. And then later, they're playing Scrabble now. They've changed. And he says, I want to set you up with my daughter. So, so now we know Creed has a daughter, apparently. Uh, yeah. Jim says, well, I'm with Pam. Creed says, I thought you were gay. <laughs> Jim asks, then why would you want to set me up with your daughter? And Creed just says, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Deleted scenes. There is a Michael talking head where he and Pam and Ryan... 
he's saying, are in a love triangle. He doesn't know why that's a bad thing, um, which is extra funny because he has expressed crushes in the past on both Pam and Ryan. So maybe in his head, that was a Freudian slip, <laughs> <laughs> calling, it a, calling it a love triangle. Andy on the phone with Dwight, it's sort of an extended scene. He asks Stanley and Phyllis at his desk clump if they cracked a code in Dwight's memo. Stanley says, why would I even look for one? And Phyllis says, it smelled like pee. And Andy relays that to Dwight. And Dwight says, the pee was the code. <laughs> he doesn't explain any further than that. Just the pee was a code. Like they were supposed to get something from the pee. There's an extended scene from the warehouse where Dwight is trying to get them to uh, tell Michael that they're getting ready to quit. Dwight says, if we do nothing, we fail. And failure is not an option. Stanley says, but if we do nothing, we get to keep our jobs. <laughs> and Andy says, well, technically failure is an option. We could, we could fail. <laughs> mm -hmm. And Dwight says he has a book called Failure is Not an Option. And in his book, failure is literally not an option. <laughs> <laughs> so he has written a book on how failure is not an option. So Apparently. he can say that line. Right. <laughs> Dwight is sort of hanging around Kelly's nook. I wonder if this is when he's waiting to meet with Michael or something. And she approaches him and says, why are you hanging out in my nook? He says, it's not your nook. It's a public nook. And she turns over her shoulder and points to her desk. And there's literally a sign there that says, Kelly's Nook. She just says, damn it. And he leaves and she just sort of, sort of turns and smiles at the camera. <laughs> I knew this would come in handy. <laughs> I love this deleted scene. So it's, it's an alternate scene from when Toby canceled Casual Friday. Which, by the way, I wanted to mention this in Funny Moments and I forgot how Toby says, this is from the main episode, Toby says that no one's outfits were appropriate other than his. There were several appropriate outfits. There were. I mean, like, most everyone besides <laughs> Meredith. Kelly's was a little eccentric. Mm. Pretty much everyone was dressed appropriately. Yeah. <laughs> like, it was just Toby. And I do love that Andy calls Toby an amorphous blob of khaki. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a deleted scene, alternate scene, where Toby tells everyone that casual, that casual Fridays are canceled, and they all start yelling at him, just immediately a mass of people. And then within five seconds, Toby just says, okay, okay, wear whatever you want. They're not canceled. <laughs> he just flops, just doesn't take the, the yelling well. Right. And everybody just all of a sudden is like, they cheer. Like, Sweet. Thanks, man. Yeah. And Andy gives him a hug. And Kelly says, good meeting, Toby. And he just turns <laughs> to the camera and says, I'm just tired. And he sits at his desk. <laughs> yeah. Going on to the commentary, we had Brent Forrester, who was the director, Claire Scanlon, who was the editor for the episode. And then we had Creed. Mindy and Ellie Kemper. So I think it was the first appearance for both Creed and Ellie in uh, yeah. the the commentaries. And overall, not a super great commentary, uh, but there were some fun things. Like uh, something I didn't notice was when Michael first tries to punch his way through the paper, uh, Claire, the editor, points out that BJ Novak as Ryan was startled. Like he he physically jumped and he it's like he wasn't expecting it when michael first tried to punch through and failed so I, that was something i hadn't noticed and i appreciated them pointing that out to me mindy noted how fun it was to be comfortable while filming well she wasn't comfortable because she was in a full length tight denim bodysuit but everyone else was in normal clothes um and they're usually the women anyway are in heels and tights and spanks and stuff so they got to be fairly comfortable and that was a relief <laughs> uh, a fun tidbit that wasn't uh, that's not really related to the show, but they mentioned that Paul Lieberstein's mother turned down Martha Stewart to cater, I guess, his bar mitzvah when he was a kid. Uh, I guess it was oh, yeah. like pre-famous Martha Stewart. 
uh, but she she was declined. <laughs> uh, so that that was an interesting thing, just a tidbit of knowledge. Mindy noted how improbable it was, and I agree on this point. I've always thought this was weird. How improbable it was that Pam would choose the same outfit as Phyllis, especially that one. Mm-hmm. It looks like a Phyllis outfit to me, but not a Pam outfit. Yeah. Um, just a little too matronly. I don't know. But yeah, she she notes that, which I was glad. I thought it was just me. Yeah, it's a little strange, but I wonder if it's just sort of part of the Pam the Salesman persona, I guess. I, I don't yeah. know. And it paints a nice foil, like, mm-hmm. uh, n- there's too many people in this office, you know? Yeah. Something that was useful to at least acknowledge, Claire, the editor, uh, sorry, I keep specifying that, but she points out how difficult it is to shoot on this show. Uh, there's a specific shot by the director of photography, Matt Sohn, that she points out when Jim is telling Michael Scott Paper Company about the mutiny. And so the camera starts zoomed in on Michael's face, and then it zooms out a little bit and shifts to also include BJ Novak, uh, Ryan, and then it zooms out even further to then include Pam. And it, it's all just a slow zoom out and slowly including more characters. And it's, it's really a neat shot, especially when it's pointed out to you. And it's tricky, too, when you consider that the cameraman doesn't always know exactly when each actor will say their lines. And so it was all choreographed to their lines, but it's just a, the, a sign of a good camera person. Mm-hmm. Especially on a show like this, which is so improvised a lot. Mm-hmm. As you mentioned before, Creed is a good chess player, the actor Creed. Um, so when they'd randomly set up the chess pieces on the board, they didn't have a lot of time. So they just kind of randomly threw him on there. Creed would dissect it and say, like, that wouldn't, you, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> or, uh, you know, he'd kind of fix it. And then when he was telling Jim, you're going to do that, I'm going to do this, don't do that. He was, that was real because he plays chess. There was a really interesting debate. Like, this was probably my favorite part. When Ellie Kemper is praising Phyllis's emotional speech that we talked about uh, to Michael, you know, about them being a family, but him going after them. And Mindy Kaling contradicts it and says, you know, I saw it as a comedic moment. And Phyllis is just putting on an act to sort of play Michael to her favor. Now, I don't necessarily agree with that. In fact, I don't, I don't think. I, I agree more with Ellie, but I just thought it was an interesting way to consider that scene. Like it sort of completely changes things. And then, I mean, if that is the case, it sort of makes more sense uh, with the apology in the warehouse. If Phyllis really was that affected by Michael going after them, she would have been more grateful for the apology in the warehouse, you know? But still, I I prefer to read that scene as her actually being hurt by Michael, uh, just because it makes Michael's turn in apology more meaningful. But It just wasn't a way I'd ever considered reading that scene. And last one for me, Brent makes a good point about Michael's fake firings, how it was so ridiculously hard for him that he regressed into a juvenile, which is something we've seen him do. So he had to cope somehow with having to fire a friend that he did that whole fake firing thing just to make it entertaining in some way for him Mm -hmm. um and we've seen him do that in the past like when um charles minor was there Mm -hmm. and he went straight into um word for word copying charles because he was so overwhelmed that he just reverts to childlike behavior so that was a good point yeah last one for me we learned that the final tag with aaron in the office was improvised i i don't know if it was steve who originally 
led to the improv because he's, I guess, the one who says, will you send an Aaron? I want to try it on Aaron. And so Jenna Fisher walks out and asks Ellie Kemper to come into the office. And Ellie says, you know, I didn't know whether to go into the office or not, but she did. And uh, they tried a few different scenes. I think they said they did four different takes and it was all improvised. Uh, there was one where Michael told uh, Aaron that Creed killed a dog on his way into work that morning and that it was in the freezer. There was one asking her to fire somebody. And then there was one where he told her he has ear cancer, I believe they said. Um, <laughs> and they were all really funny, but this is the one the, the one we got in the episode is obviously the one we got. But I, I just thought it was really cool that that started with an improvisation. I, I lo- always love knowing what's improvised and what's not. So our second episode is Cafe Disco. It aired on May 7th, 2009, directed by Randall Einhorn, written by Warren Lieberstein, who is actually Paul's brother and was married at the time to Angela Kinsey and Halstead Sullivan. We have Michael. He still has the lease on the former Michael Scott Paper Company office space. So he's turned it into a sort of relaxation den where he can listen to music, dance and drink espresso. He eventually turns it into a cafe disco, thus the name, where everyone in the business park can come to hang out and have a good time. And that's the gist of things. (laughs) So uh, after a really long episode discussion over Casual Friday, this will probably be a lot shorter. There's really not a whole lot that goes on in this episode. It's a fun one. It's entertaining. More funny moments for me than anything else, because Mm -hmm. what you said pretty much is what happened. So Michael is spending so much time down at the cafe disco he is i mean what we've seen anyway two days back at work maybe some time has passed but he has not been back with dunder mifflin for very long and is kind of avoiding his job so he's spending all day down there in fact angela has to go reprimand him because he isn't getting any work done people need him and he's just down there drinking coffee and dancing he's got an espresso machine in there <laughs> And it looks an awful lot like the one from season one in Hot Girl. So it makes me wonder, did he not give it to a salesman who, I mean, it was supposed to be a prize, right? For like most sales of the quarter or something like that. So I guess nobody won it or he ended up keeping it for himself and making it a cash prize or something else. I don't know. But uh, he's got the espresso machine. It's funny that you said that because I know you watched the captions and they put EX. P-R-E-S-S-O uh-huh. as the caption because he does not say espresso, which right. is the, connect- the correct pronunciation. He says espresso. Yeah. Um, and they, they even put that in the captions, which I like. You know, I have to wonder, the initial reveal uh, when the camera walks down the hallway and you hear the music and then it turns the corner and walks into the door and all of a sudden Michael turns around. I have to wonder if Michael himself staged that. Like, hey. I, 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 I want you to go out in the hallway and I want you to track the shot this way because I want you to catch me dancing. It's one of those like, <laughs> la, da, 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 da. oh, didn't see you there. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I love the, the thinking that he planned yeah. it that way. I found myself wondering that too, but I think he planned it. <laughs> so uh, Michael asks everyone to lunch. This is before the, the concept of the cafe disco as it evolves into uh, is really thought of. It's just Michael's place to go and hang out. He asks everyone to lunch and nobody takes him up on the offer. And so he's a talking head. He says, you know, at Dunder Mifflin, there is a very strict no lunch with the boss policy. I don't know who instituted it. I think it started right after my predecessor stepped down. <laughs> uh, that, that should tell you something right there, Michael, um, if it happened right after your predecessor left. So he does turn it into a, quote, cafe disco um, after nobody takes him up on it. 
initially the only people to go down and have fun are Aaron and Kevin. Uh, then we find out Kevin only went down to ask Michael a question. And then again, as you mentioned earlier, is reprimanded by Angela. Michael gives up on it, but then that's when it takes off. We see Phyllis kind of timidly go down there and she starts dancing with Michael, just the two of them, which is, it starts out to be a sweet, fun friendship moment. And then Phyllis hurts her back dancing. So we get a few moments of Dwight and Phyllis because Michael has commissioned Dwight to, uh, to help Phyllis with her back. And so they kind of bond a bit. Um, he spends quite a lot of time helping her, which is a relationship that we haven't really seen yet one-on-one. Mm-hmm. First, I want to point out that the, there's something almost slightly satisfying about hearing Phyllis just drop a huge curse word when she hurts yeah. herself. <laughs> it's like, wow, she is really hurting she if is. Phyllis <laughs> drops a word like that. <laughs> and... I really do. I agree. I like the Dwight Phyllis relationship. Uh, he he's sort of treating her like a horse. Uh, he's feeding yeah. her carrots. Uh, he says, "Whoa, girl!" When she tries to stand girl. up, they're having conversation with each other. They're sharing things with each other. Uh, we meet Bob Vance, Vance Refrigeration Secretary, who bears a somewhat similar resemblance to Phyllis herself. And so when she is laying on the table being massaged by Dwight and in a lot of pain, she expresses her fear that Bob Vance, Vance Refrigeration, may cheat on her with said secretary. And then she laughs it off and she says it sounds silly when she says it out loud. And Dwight laughs with her and they're really enjoying each other's company. And so it's really a nice little scene. And then they eventually, after she's feeling better, go down to the cafe disco together and she offers to dance with him. And he accepts. And so they start dancing together. And then her husband does show up and they dance together. And it's really nice. And everybody's having a good time at that point. Even Jim and Pam, who make an appearance down there, um, Pam in different clothes in a nice summer dress because, surprise, surprise, plot twist, they decide that they're going to get married today. They wake up that morning and Jim says, you know what? I want to marry you today. I'm sick of waiting. Plus, wedding planning is stressful and expensive. Mm-hmm. So they decide that they're going to go to Ohio, um, to the nearest court where they can get a short order wedding. Five hour drive, by the way. So, but that's what they want to do. They're tired of, of planning and, and waiting. So they decide on their way out to stop in to the Cafe Disco because it would mean a lot to Michael. But while they're there, they decide that they both like cheesy. They both want to have their planned wedding. Um, and so they decide to, to wait. Yeah, my favorite part about that was that they decided to stop by uh, the cafe disco just because they knew it would mean a lot to Michael specifically. Uh, Mm -hmm. Really sweet decision on their part to make him happy. On their big day. (laughs) On their big day, yeah. And they they do embrace the cheese of the the dancing and having a good time together. And so they do decide to have the real thing. I like their dancing. They're just like jumping up and down. Yeah, basically. (laughs) Arms at their side. The only people who do not show up to or who are not like having a good time are Stanley who has fallen asleep at his desk and Angela who refuses to dance but he, she is she is sticking around because Michael promised her one signature per song uh, but he does have his own little victory when she declines his dance invite at the end but then he looks down and sees she is tapping her foot to the beat of the music <laughs> and so he grins at the camera and that's the episode it's it's nice one last thing I wanted to note, um, if you blink, you'll miss it, but we actually see Kevin and Lynn making out at Cafe Disco. So mm-hmm. we, we met Lynn at, um, oh my God. Blood Drive. Blood Drive, yeah. Uh, and there's some fun behind the scenes stuff too in the deleted scenes that we'll talk about 
first. Let's talk about the funny moments. The cold open is another one that's not really necessarily funny. Uh, it's funny to Dwight. He, uh, well, all of a sudden, Aaron excitedly exclaims from reception that she won an art contest. And she's uh, cheering herself, and everyone just sort of stares. And then Dwight sort of staring down Pam. He's really, like, chuffed and happy with himself. And uh, he walks up and hands her money, revealing that he paid her off to say something that would clearly upset Pam. And he just like is guffawing at his desk. He's so proud of himself for coming up with such a clever plan. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, both Pam and Jim point out, not cool, Dwight. Not cool. Yeah. Michael is making fun of his employees, calling them office drones. He wants them to be lively (laughs) and go down and dance with him. And he pretends to be a robot and runs into Pam's desk over and over until she removes his battery. Um, otherwise, he would just go on all day. And I just think it's funny that Pam Pam has done this for so long. It's like, again, it's like a mom to a child. Like, mm-hmm. okay, this is his quirk. This is what you got to do. I know this. And she knows his quirks. And so you got to check out the battery or else he'll keep doing this. Right. So, <laughs> and I love that. She's as taking he's, care of her son. As he's powering down, he says, I... Just discovered love or something, yeah. something to that effect. I, I was just learning to love. Yeah, I was just learning to love. <laughs> <laughs> um, Michael has a lot of small little things to say that, that really make me laugh. The, the first or one of the first is when uh, Phyllis says, Michael, we have a lot of work to do today. And he says, what? And she just says, <laughs> work. <laughs> <laughs> and shortly thereafter, he says, Charles really did a number on these guys. They are way too focused on work. <laughs> yeah. That Charles. Dwight is suspicious. Okay, so Aaron finds a map from Scranton to this town in Ohio. And Aaron asks, hey, did anybody leave a map here? Dwight is suspicious of this. Uh, Jim and Pam don't claim the map. And Dwight suggests that there are very few reasons to go to a court in Ohio, one of which is to attain a learner's permit at age 14 and a half instead of 15 years old. Then he asks Aaron to see her birth certificate, insinuating that he thinks she's maybe 14 years old, which she has on her. Right. <laughs> she has her birth certificate in her purse. I don't know two people who carry that around. No. Um, that, that always makes me laugh. <laughs> More Michael stuff. When Kevin first comes down to the the cafe disco, before it becomes the cafe disco, he tempts Kevin to stay with a fake cookie hidden in his hand. It's obviously fake. But the funny part is that Kevin seems to believe that he actually has one. And Kevin or Angela has to walk over and open Michael's hand and say, look, he does not have a cookie. And Kevin's disappointed just walks away. Uh, it's like a dog. Yeah. <laughs> Want the cookie? <laughs> There's another moment when he's first explaining the concept of the cafe disco. He says, it's a, ca- it's, a, it's a daytime disco on the ground floor of an industrial office building. Aaron is the first one. She says, it's a cafe disco. Michael says, exactly. Kevin says, so like a disco cafe? And he says, what? No, no, not even close. Uh, I, I don't know how those are so different, but to Michael, <laughs> they are. Apparently very different. Also... Speaking of the cafe disco, how did I never notice that the Michael Scott Paper Company had a shower in it? Yeah. I did not realize this <laughs> until this time because they hung the lay on a shower head. Mm-hmm. And Phyllis says to, right, respect the lay. Uh, Phyllis says to Bob's secretary that she'll be in the, you know, that door between the bathrooms that used to be a utility shower. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that just never, that never stuck with me. So they were not. 
in a closet. They were in a shower. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's where their office was. That's just hilarious. At one point, Michael compares himself to Philip Morris. You just want to give someone a smooth, fun way to relax, and suddenly you're just some terrible monster. For those who don't know, Philip Morris is the company that makes Marlboro cigarettes. <laughs> which is a word I can never say. Marlboro. Which is why I'm glad it's weird. you put that yeah. funny moment. Mar- Mar- no. Okay. <laughs> right after Phyllis has, has heard her back and sh- she's laying down in the utility closet. Michael is talking to Dwight and says, I just, we need to get her out of here because no one's going to go in there if there's a woman writhing around on the floor. And Michael turns to go and he sees the camera crew and he goes, wait, 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 but most importantly, we need to get her some medical attention. ASAP, stat. (laughs) (laughs) He wasn't concerned about that until he saw the camera. It's so satisfying the moment when Michael holds up the speaker to the the air vent to play, going to make you sweater, everybody dance now, to sort of tempt everybody down. I mean. It's kind of a concern that Dunder Mifflin isn't the only business in the building, but whatever. <laughs> um, then a couple more things. Michael says, uh, he says, when everybody has sort of turned down the cafe disco idea, he says, you all took a life here today. You did. The life of the party. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, one more from Michael. I'm just trying to get through all of these real quick. Um, when Angela comes down, he's trying to get her to enjoy, to participate. He says, if these walls could talk, they would say, this is a magical place. You are safe here. We are talking walls. We're not going to eat you. <laughs> <laughs> I just love he continues the talking walls metaphor. There's a Creed one where he's contributing to the life of the party by bringing in a disco ball. He says, boss, this used to hang from my windshield, but it belongs in here. Michael thanks him. And Creed says, no problem. I'll just have no idea who's driving behind me now. <laughs> Ooh. It's concerning that was yeah. his rear view mirror. Because I can't yeah. imagine that would be much effective anyways. At all. Uh, when Dwight is fixing up Phyllis, he says, <laughs> This remedy has been passed down in my family for generations, and it always works. My grandfather was told that Diamond Dancer would never race again. They were wrong. He came in ninth in the Apple Creek Derby, and his jerky came in third the following year. The Majestic Beast. So fast, so tender. <laughs> that, that last part is my favorite part. <laughs> so fast, so tender. So tender. <laughs> it's awful. <laughs> and maybe the last one for me, Kelly is going to pierce Andy's ear, which they had a little dance off. Um, although according to Kelly, it was not. She was just dancing. Mm-hmm. But they bonded over it apparently because in the last scene of the episode, Kelly is trying to pierce Andy's ear. He doesn't take it very well. In fact, we see him scream when Kelly puts ice on his earlobe. <laughs> so Michael has duct taped a limbo pole in the doorway. Uh, so you have to limbo as you walk into the, the cafe disco until Angela walks in and she just walks in. She doesn't have to <laughs> squat or lean. She fits comfortably right under the pole. She is quite certainly okay. petite. <laughs> And I guess that's probably good for now. This this episode, you could dissect every little funny moment. There's lots to go yeah. over. There's not a lot of plot. <laughs> no. Let's go ahead and move on to deleted scenes. Kevin sees Lynn, as I mentioned. Uh, they have a happy ending in this episode as we see them uh, making out in the in the disco. But in this deleted scene, he sees Lynn in the elevator and he asks, after saying hello, if she's had bacon for breakfast because she smells like bacon. She says no, and that's weird, so okay, he moves on. He considers inviting her to the cafe disco, but remembers that she just wants to be friends. 
it's kind of awkward and they part ways. Then Lynn has a talking head where she says, yes, I did have bacon. I just don't think that's anyone's business. (laughs) And then it cuts to Kevin's talking head. I love the smell of bacon on a woman. (laughs) And so he then ends up calling her and inviting her to Cafe Disco, presumably because of the bacon smell. And she accepts. When he does call after she said yes and he hangs up, he turns to Angela and says, I'm having stomach problems, Angela. My stomach is really hurting. (laughs) And Oscar speaks up and says, just just go down. I mean, it's like, you don't have to make excuses for Angela. Just go. Right. If you want to go, go. Yeah. I really like that. We, it's always nice to see the the Kevin Oscar relationship. Mm. Um, Michael in a deleted scene is talking about how his grandpa used to be the quote funnest guy he knew. He'd sing, he'd dance, he'd fall down, but then he started going to these meetings, and all of a sudden he changed. He stopped going out at night, and the fun just dried up. He got a job, <laughs> right? He got a job. He says, "I just don't want the same to happen to all of you." It sounds like your granddad took a turn for the better. Yeah, just a little bit. (laughs) Ryan refuses to go down to the cafe disco as well, it should be noted, because he doesn't want to put himself in that kind of environment anymore. Now we remember that Ryan got pretty heavy into drugs while he was living in New York. And apparently the cafe disco is a little too close to a party atmosphere for him, so he prefers (laughs) not to expose himself. Yeah, I I don't think that would really compare to a New York party, (laughs) but who knows? Last one for me. Dwight is talking with Phyllis as he massages her. He says, you know, I can't imagine you playing softball. She said, well, I was, I was in all county my junior and senior years. He says, big deal. I hit three home runs against Little Flower Catholic. She says, isn't that an all-girls school? And so Dwight reveals to us that he played softball. Note that he didn't say girls softball. Not after the landmark case of Schrute versus Lackawanna County Board of Education. He said, I hit the ball right over the protest banners. (laughs) (laughs) So Dwight played softball with a bunch of girls. So my discussion topic for this episode is the Cafe Disco just another Michael Scott waste of time. Or does it mean more to him than that since it's at the Michael Scott Paper Company old office? Is he kind of reminiscing on his time? Is this just a waste of time? I don't even really know the answer to this myself. I think that room sort of represents both his biggest success and his biggest failure. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, I mean, the company was going under until he got lucky with a buyout from Dunder Mifflin. And he's still, after the last episode, still trying to win his old slash new employees back over. So I I think that this is just an effort to sort of ease the waters, calm the waters, and reminisce in his good and bad fortune, and maybe just make it better. I don't know. Yeah. That seems like, I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) I agree. And I think his time with with the Michael Scott Paper Company was one of the few big risks he's taken. Mm hmm And... I think he's probably pretty proud of himself for doing that. It didn't last long and it wasn't a huge success, but he did it. And for a short period of time, he was flying solo and that is worth applauding. Mm-hmm. He, he, he made it work at least for a little while or he at least tried. So mm-hmm. I like to think, and to my knowledge, we don't really get any more Michael Scott paper company stuff after this. So I think this is sort of his swan song to, to his time mm-hmm. going solo. Yeah, I mean, the Michael Scott Paper Company was something he didn't quit on. 
Uh, so he's holding on to the last sort of vestige of that effort. Right. Cool. Well, that's the end of the official 52nd episode of An American Workplace. One year later, here we are. Thank you all once again. You can contact us at facebook.com slash workplacepod or at workplacepod on Twitter. If you care to, you can rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. We would always appreciate any um, any feedback, which you can also email feedback and ideas to workplacepod at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter at ktlady623 or at facebook.com slash katie.white. The best place for me, as always, is at chadadada on Twitter. That is C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A. Also, facebook.com slash chad.hopkins and my other podcast, Cinescope. You can find that where podcasts can be found and at thecinescopepodcast.com. Show notes and all contact information for this show can be found at workplacepodcast.com. We have three, count it, three new Patreon subscribers, Michelle, Evan, and Hannah. Hello. Welcome. Thank you. Right. And just a reminder, uh, if you subscribe on Patreon, even at just the $1 level it, with, before the end of next week, that's the first full week of August in 2018, then you will get a sticker very, very soon. So sign up. If you want a shout out <laughs> and uh, more of an American workplace each week, that's what the Patreon is for. You get access to our discussion outline and notes, the sticker, bonus episodes every week and live streams. And so if you're interested in that, just go to our Patreon, patreon.com slash workplace pod and sign up for the level that you think is worth it to you. And that's all for this week. Thank you once again for joining us this past year to watch one of our favorite shows, The Office, here on episode 52 of An American Workplace. Make sure to join us in episode 53 for our discussion on the final episode of season five, Company Picnic. Bye. Bye. Since the Michael Scott paper stump on co- <laughs> Okay. One year doing this. It's going really well. I'm just going to start this over. That's fine.